This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast, Rhode Island's podcast of record. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you for new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. And of course, whenever breaking news happens. Today, we return to our monthly series, Inside Rhode Island Cannabis, presented by Pure Vita Labs. A panel discussion today featuring medical doctors Jason Iannicelli and Jonathan Martin and PhD chemist Stuart Proctor for an important discussion on why consumers of cannabis should buy legal products and avoid the dangers of consuming black market cannabis. So this is a very exciting series. I'm so glad we were able to get this off the ground. And your feedback has just been awesome. Um, I got a ton of messages uh, after episode one of this. Tyson writes, this was the most educated conversation about cannabis that I've ever listened to. Yeah. You know, that that's, I, I totally agree. I mean, these guys really understand the acute issue at hand here, which is on the analytical testing, on the labeling side of things, on the practical implications of this industry in both a medical context and as we're seeing here in Rhode Island with legislation that seems like it actually has a chance to get through recreational cannabis. Sue writes, it's great to know that we have two local doctors here in Rhode Island that are on the forefront of cannabis analysis and labeling. It's totally irresponsible to have patients taking prescribed drugs along with cannabis derivatives of unknown strength. Since cannabis is dispensed from independent facilities, not pharmacies, the pharmacist I spoke with told me that they only knew if patients were taking medical cannabis if the patient elected to tell them. I hope that this situation has changed. So a lot of, let's be honest, there's a lot of curiosity and a lot of confusion in this space, which is rapidly becoming mainstream. And we want to be on the forefront of bringing you that information on a regular basis here on B-Town. Remember, you can support the independent journalism, entertainment, analysis, and opinion that B-Town is known for by simply heading to patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown or just click the support link wherever you're listening. For as little as $3 per month, you can help to sustain this independent program. And while you're at it, go ahead and leave a rating and review and follow the podcast wherever you like to listen. Do you know what's in your cannabis? Recreational use legalization is on the horizon, and consumer health is Pure Vita Labs' priority. If you use cannabis, choose lab-tested, legal cannabis products over unlabeled, black market products, which are likely to contain harmful contaminants. Legal products offer a safe and controlled cannabis experience. Competent testing labs are the gatekeepers to the legal cannabis industry. Pure Vita Labs, founded by physicians and PhD chemists, is rooted in science and built on integrity. They are committed to helping cultivators and product manufacturers deliver clean and accurately labeled cannabis products to consumers. Know what's in your cannabis, know your dose, and control your experience. Visit purevitalabs.com. That's P-U-R-E-V-I-T-A-L-A-B-S.com. All right, continuing our series inside Rhode Island Cannabis presented by Pure Vita Labs, we get into a really important discussion today. I think it's something that um, all cannabis consumers, past cannabis consumers, future potential cannabis consumers probably have in the back of their mind or uh, even wrestle with at times, particularly for those who are not medical patients, but here in Rhode Island where you know, there's, there is a thriving black market in this, this industry uh, writ large. And the focus today is why cannabis consumers should buy legal products 
and the dangers of consuming black market cannabis. So, uh, gentlemen, again, welcome. If uh, if you could each introduce yourself to the audience, and we'll we'll get it rolling here. Sure, uh, Dr. Jason Inicelli with uh, Pure Vita Labs, one of the co-founders. Dr. Jonathan Martin, a practicing internist in Rhode Island, also one of the co-founders. And Dr. Stuart Proctor, an analytical chemistry and co-founder. Awesome. So we have a, a wide, uh, I guess, a, a spread of, infra, of perspectives on this topic, and let's get right into it. So. Look, a lot of states have legalized cannabis just yesterday. We're taping in on uh, March 2nd. So just yesterday, um, Scott Slater and uh, uh, others introduced what looks like it may be a bill that will actually get passed here in Rhode Island to legalize recreational cannabis in the state. But a lot of states have legalized cannabis, and there are a variety of products widely available to a large proportion of the U.S. population for either medicinal or recreational consumption. And despite the relatively easy access to cannabis products on the legal market, it's estimated that nearly 80% of marijuana products are still purchased on the illicit market. Uh, Much of the driving force behind that is the higher cost of legally available products, which is largely due to overhead, you know, the cost of production, which is imposed by regulatory standards and taxation. But why should consumers be willing to pay more for legal cannabis products? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I mean, the, the black market problem is real. Um, you know, this is uh, the market is really alive and well, and those numbers are staggering. But, you know, a lot of that data comes out of the California market. Um, we know that, uh, especially here in the Northeast, in, in Massachusetts, there's still a thriving black market, you know, as well as all the other states that are uh, in the process of legalizing now. So it, it is it is there. It is real. Um, and in fact, it's causing problems for the legal market. I mean, really, there is uh, there's a lot of uh, cannabis flower being produced, and we are seeing oversupply in a lot of markets. Um, you know, normally that would drive prices down, and it has in California. Um, you can see that products that are legally available there are cheaper than products that you would buy in Massachusetts, for example. But you can only bring down the, the price of legal products so much. I mean, the truth is that these products are always going to be somewhat more expensive than black market products because as you mentioned they're more expensive to produce you know these organizations these manufacturers and growers uh, they've got licensing costs all the the startup costs of operation they need to recoup um, you know you've got additional costs of actually having to package and label these products which doesn't occur on the black market um, not only that but you've got the lab testing um, and then you've got an issue of taxation, which, you know, you can argue what's the fair amount of taxation on these products. I mean, a lot of markets, you know, I think initially they, they were sort of greedy with the taxation. But, you know, when you, when you take all these factors into consideration, you know, these products are always going to be more expensive. Um, growing safe cannabis isn't cheap. You know, these facilities themselves, they've got specific requirements for HVAC, uh, special water filtration systems. All this stuff is really expensive, but it's for the benefit of the consumer from a safety standpoint. And that's really because lab testing now has become mainstream. Um, Lab testing does add cost, but it certainly benefits the consumer. And I would argue that this is, you know, the major reason why you would want to buy products on the legal market. Um, as we said in a previous episode, it, it's not really the cannabis, the marijuana, it's the potential contaminants that can end up in there from the growing process if it's not being done carefully. 
Um, but, you know, the truth is that many people still aren't aware of these risks and they're still buying these products on the black market strictly based on price alone. Um, this is really like, you know, no one's really showing up with like acute poisoning from contamination from marijuana products. I mean, it's really more of an insidious process. It's these toxins that build up in the body over prolonged use, and then they can start to cause problems. Um, so naturally, black market products aren't policed for contaminants. They're not tested. So you sort of pay a premium for safety on the legal market. In addition, um, lab testing is important to tell the consumer what's in the product. I mean, look, there's some science out there now that a lot of people aren't aware of, and it's something that we're really diving into deeply here at Pure Vita. We are actually able to look at these chemical profiles of these products, and based on the science that's available, we can sort of, you know, give you the most likely prediction as far as what the type of effect is that you're going to get from a product, you know, given its sort of uh, chemical composition, you know, whatever given strain it is that, that we're analyzing. Um, so really, you know, I would say that as long as the taxation and pricing are, are, are fair, I mean, consumers should, I mean, they should always be willing to pay more for lab certified products on the legal market because it's their own health that's really at stake. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think if you think back to alcohol prohibition uh, and when it was ending, you're going to pay more for a, uh, a safe alcohol product. Would you prefer to purchase bathtub gin, which is still available as, you know, uh, illegal cannabis on our black markets now, or pay some bit of a premium to make sure that you're not going to get methanol in your, in your gin to make you blind? So I think there's it's it's simply coming out of this this market that never existed before, coming out of this black market only sort of um, area. You're, you, we have this overlap. We're in this time period where there's an overlap. There's sort of a, a gray market even. Um, so hopefully that's going to go away in the future, and people will start to realize that the safety of the products is really it's worth paying a bit of a premium for. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to frame it. The gray market that we're currently in right now, and it's. You know, again, it's partially due to the legislative process or or however you want to frame that, the regulatory process in various states. But it's also, as you just discussed, there's price points that really a consumer should be considering without question for their own well-being. Um, Dr. Proctor, you're a PhD level chemist with expertise in analytical testing of cannabis. Can you tell us a bit about what legal cannabis products are typically tested for and why is this important for consumers to know? Absolutely. I mean, you can sort of break that down into two major categories. You, On one side of the fence, you've got um, the sort of analytes that people are interested for therapeutic effects, the, the cannabinoids, the terpenes. And then on the other side of the fence, you've got all the, the naughty stuff that you don't want to have in there, your, your mycotoxins, your eastern mold, your heavy metals and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Jason has already done a great job um, talking about the active ingredients of THC and CBD. Um, but on top of that, there's also a whole bunch of other molecules that that's still trying to, I say, gain traction because there's a lot of education that needs to be, um, or after that, a lot of research that needs to take place for us to understand it. But you've got the over 120 other cannabinoids. There's also terpenes, which we've talked about, that add the flavor and the aroma. The aroma. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. When you look at the actual potency, which is the thing that people focus on um, right now in the Rhode Island market, um, the THC and the CBD are the only two uh, regulated products which are actually go on the label. Um, but in combination with that are also things like CBN, CBG, which are other cannabinoids, which are again, we're, we're starting to learn a lot about and understand that actually have a lot of medicinal benefits. Um, and then of course, when we talk about 
how the, the, the actual product impacts the body, that the terpenes are very important. And again, a lot of research is now going into understanding something called the entourage effect and the way that can dominate or the way that can impact your user experience, which you're not going to get on the black market. It's almost like potluck, right? You just sort of pick up a product and has it got terpenes? Hasn't it got terpenes? What's the THC level? It's, it's, it's more about streamlining the experience and understanding um, how the product center will work with you. I mean, and then you move on from, so, so that's, that's the, I call that the fun side of chemistry because obviously that's the part where a really, you know, there's a lot of research and that's really the, the focus of the product is how, it, how it's going to benefit people. Um, then of course, there's all those negative connotations that Jason mentioned that you're going to get in um, black market cannabis. So pesticides, uh, these are obviously very toxic compounds. They can cause organ injury. They can, over time, if you get repeated doses of these, there are a long-term implications. So you, you don't even know at the time. So you've been smoking cannabis for four or five years and actually have little understanding of the, the detrimental impact that some of these compounds have already had on you. Um, I mean, for the pesticides, you go to the heavy metals. I mean, we're currently testing for cadmium, mercury, arsenic, and lead. All of these things like lead, you know, once that gets across the the, the brain barrier, the blood brain barrier, it, it, it stays there and it can cause all sorts of uh, memory and brain disorders. So it's, it's understanding how we can make this product safe is really important. Um, you've also got the biological, so yeast and mold, of course. So again, mold and other bacteria make things called mycotoxins, which could be present. These are very toxic and have large uh, or problematic implications. Um, this is, so, so right now we're testing the flour and the concentrates on the concentrates. There's, there's how do they actually go through that manufacturing process. So um, there's a lot of uh, equipment and materials that could essentially get into the product uh, during that process. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's in terms of, of um, there's, there's, that's just a, the tip of the iceberg, let's call it. There's a lot more that yeah. we're trying to improve on. And, and realistically, the safety and the actual predominant effects are the two key areas that we're trying to work with. Yeah. So, you know, just there, there's the composition of the stuff that's helpful that you're looking for. And then there's making sure that all the bad stuff isn't in there. And, you know, in, in general right now, I mean, that you're, we're testing for all the potency stuff that's usually required in every market. But, you know, as Stuart said, I mean, you've got testing for pesticides, testing for toxic metals. I mean, anything that's in the soil or environment, the water source is going to get soaked up by that plant and it's going to be in the final product. So, you know, bacteria and mold and then those residual solvents. So if you're making an extract from plant matter, you're using some sort of a solvent to pull all the oil out of the plant matter. Then you have to remove the solvent to leave just the pure cannabis oil behind. And, you know, when you're talking about hydrocarbon extraction, I mean, some of these chemicals like butane, pentane, propane, I mean, nobody wants that in their extract. You don't want to ingest it, inhale it. So again, it's very important that products undergo comprehensive testing, not just for THC and CBD potency, but you got to make sure all these toxins aren't in there. That Those are the main benefits of lab testing right now in this market. Yeah. And it sort of feeds into that notion of, well, cannabis is safe. It's, it's a safe product, so on and so forth, which is, you know, countered by the notion that, well, there may be endless amounts of elements to, to whatever, whether it's flour or concentrate, uh, that are not safe. And that leads to an obvious question, which is that in terms of legal cannabis or legal marijuana, um, either on the medicinal side or recreational side, is all of it tested? Inside Rhode Island Cannabis, presented by Pure Vita Labs on B-Town. Hey, remember to follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, 
even LinkedIn, for daily digital content and much more. Just search for me at Bill Bartholomew. This portion of the Bartholomew Town podcast is sponsored by Pure Vita Labs. Visit purevitalabs.com today. Everything in Rhode Island right now um, that's on the shelves is not tested, actually, right? So the flower that you purchase that's available to, to smoke is, is currently tested. The edibles on the shelves, not currently tested. The vape cartridges are currently tested. Um, topicals, uh, not currently tested. So there's, it's, it's about half of what is available on the shelves in Rhode Island currently undergoes some form of laboratory testing. Uh, the regulations that exist specify six main tests and uh, four of them are currently being required um, in Rhode Island on the products that are required to be tested. So it is not, um, it is not hundred percent of the products that can be purchased at the dispensaries that are that are tested by any lab, but um, it is bearing in on uh, a majority of them currently. Yeah, and I would add, you know, you got to keep in mind that this industry is in a stage of transition here. I mean, back in the early days of, of you know, when it became legal for medicinal purposes, there were no requirements to test. You know, in fact, I would argue that maybe there wasn't as much knowledge about what could potentially go wrong. Um, growers might kind of test for THC and CBD on their own just to appeal to consumers. Um, but, you know, those self-test results were kind of wildly inaccurate. You weren't having, you know, professional chemists do it in most cases. And, you know, look, I mean, if they had enough money on hand, they would buy their own analytical equipment just to save costs so they didn't have to send the stuff out. But, you know, we've seen the industry change. So, you know, over the course of, you know, the last decade or so, product safety has become a concern. I mean, people have been finding visible mold on flour. I mean, this was, you know, early in like, you know, around maybe 2015, 2016, we're seeing reports in the news of mold on products that were being bought in medicinal dispensaries. Um, a lot of post-market investigative testing revealed that labels were inaccurate or products were contaminated. Um, and then in 2019, it was almost like on cue, we had this vape crisis, um, which we can talk about, you know, in a little bit more depth, but it really heightened the awareness for the need for regulatory testing to protect consumers. So now, you know, the vast majority of legal markets do require independent lab testing. Um, you're no longer allowed to test products yourself if you're a grower. Uh, regulation is fairly mainstream just for safety reasons. And, you know, although these regulations are very similar from state to state, they're still not standardized. You know, the acceptable limits or thresholds of, of the contaminants that could be present, you know, those are set at different levels in different states. So it is still a little bit of a smorgasbord of like regulatory effort here, but, you know, we are sort of uncovering best science practices and hopefully we'll see more standardization as we go. Let's talk about the 2019 vape crisis. I mean, that was a, a a heavy moment for sure in terms of the industry, and it also created an element of hysteria. There's no question about it. I mean, some people were posting chest X-rays that were just. I mean, of course, I'm not a doctor, but you know, you can use common sense to go. Okay, well, that's not how you want a chest X-ray to look as a result of some of what we were seeing, and just the anecdotal reports that we were hearing. Simultaneously, I remember going and covering protests outside of the state house where people were screaming about, you're, you know, you're infringing on my rights if you have if there's basically any regulation on vaporizers. We're talking about these concentrate vapes that that people were using more so than like the Pax vaporizers, the flower vaporizers, but it created a ton of questions. So, what did the industry and cannabis consumers learn from that crisis, and what should they take away from it? 
it's important to understand what exactly happened there. So this kind of goes back to that. Do you want to buy bathtub gin or do you want to buy, you know, a nice organic distilled gin on the shelf from your liquor store? It's the same, same thing with, with vape cartridges. You can buy black market vape cartridges. God knows, you know, you probably don't ever want to see the extraction facility that they were created in, um, but you can purchase them. And just like any drug uh, that you might find uh, purchasable on the street, uh, people who are selling it are going to try to stretch the amount of material they have as far as possible. And they're going to use fillers to do that. And those fillers should, you know, usually have the same consistency or appearance as the product itself. And vitamin E acetate is essentially a filler and was uh, unfortunately um, used during this period of time to cut vape cartridge oil. <clears throat> and vitamin E acetate is not um, a material like polyethylene glycol or vegetable glycerin, which can um, be absorbed by the lungs without uh, a lot of direct damage to the tissues. Vitamin E acetate stays in a uh, fatty form that sticks to the interior of the lung cells and over a period of time, which is part of the problem with many of the contaminants in cannabis is that it is not an immediate effect, right? You don't take one hit of this vape cartridge and wind up in the emergency room. And if that were the case, we would have known exactly what this was pretty quickly, but instead it takes a period of time. You've got to go through a cartridge. You've got to go back to the same guy and buy another cartridge and another cartridge and another cartridge. And after time, you start to develop what's called a lipophilic pneumonia in your lungs. The tissues themselves are unable to open and to accept gas exchange through them. And I'm sure Dr. Ryan can tell us about the radiographic sort of interpretation. When you see this on a film, it doesn't look good. It's, it's, it looks like clouds in your chest. Um, but that was the reason for it. This was cost cutting, stretching uh, material that people were selling on the streets using a filler, which turned out to be extraordinarily toxic to lung tissue. And, you know, in, in the middle of this, uh, we regulated the vapes for people who are, you know, instead of smoking cigarettes, they went the harm reduction route. They're using nicotine vaporizers. They took all the flavors off the shelf because they, they didn't know if the additives there were causing it. They had no idea what the, the actual cause was until about four to six months down the line when they finally realized this was a filler on the black market. Um, there were close to 3,000 uh, cases in the U.S. And, and almost 100 deaths. So it was not an insignificant issue. And we were lucky to have, have found it uh, early on. But uh, it's, it's a great example of why you don't want to go to the black market to purchase cannabis. This is, yeah. you, know, you, you don't want to deal with, with, um, with people who are going to be tempted to hand you something that is unsafe, untested, unknown. Yeah. And, and that is, again, the importance of having a regulatory standard. Um, you know, there are other reports of products uh, available on the black market or being purchased on the black market that have been laced with other harmful drugs. So you're taking a substance like cannabis where, you know, there's never been a recorded reported history of overdose death from THC, but you start lacing cannabis with fentanyl to enhance the high. And by the way, that's done uh, intentionally by a black market producer and the consumer doesn't know it, you know, that 
fentanyl, when you, you know, inhale it, if you inhale too much, I mean, you can definitely overdose and die from fentanyl. Um, you know, we all know that now because of the fentanyl crisis. So these things are, they're happening, they're out there. And, you know, they're more likely to happen on the black market than the regulated market. And that's the important point. And it's, it's also interesting to, to point out that there is another sort of market, I don't know what to call it, the gas station market, where there <laughs> yeah. are some, um, you know, there are some products available out there that look to be legitimate. Um, and they are sold in packages, they're sold, you know, with some marketing, but they are synthesized chemicals that are unfortunately not illegal right now because they are fairly new chemicals. Um, they're being synthesized in countries where there really is no regulatory standard for how people can synthesize uh, these chemicals. And so the contaminants in those products are just as dangerous as, uh, if not more dangerous, to be perfectly honest, than the uh, than the products you could buy on the black market. Yeah, the gas station. I mean, just speaking to CBD and people buying sticks of honey or other types of you know kind of products that appear to be, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm not feeling well today. Maybe this bomb will help me, or I had a sports injury, and you're you know you're literally getting it at some Texaco station off the highway. I mean, it just doesn't seem on on the surface it could possibly be good. Those, those products are created in manufacturing plants outside of the U.S. Um, where there is no regulatory standard, there is no lab testing, there is there is nothing. So the solvents that are used to extract the cannabinoids, if if there even really are cannabinoids in them, um, are probably not taken out. The contaminants in those products are probably worse than the majority of black market cannabis you could buy. Wow. Scary so stuff. Actually, to be- um, or it's actually sort of manufactured synthetically. There's a lot of uh, purification process that have to occur on the chemistry side to make sure products are safe. That you'd obviously get in a, a pharmaceutical a pharmaceutical grade product, but not not mm-hmm. something that's just physically yeah. synthesized from raw materials. Yeah, super scary. Well. <clears throat> What are what are the current regulatory requirements for for lab testing of medical cannabis here in Rhode Island? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a story to tell here on the, the whole process of how the regulations were they sort of came to be. Um, you know, it, as we mentioned in a previous episode, uh, you know, Dr. Martin and myself, we were really inundated with questions from patients that we were treating about medical marijuana, and you know, it, it really sort of drew our attention to the market locally. Um, you know, as things were starting to really kind of catch fire elsewhere in the country with reports of contaminated products, you know, it was almost like astounding to me that, um, you know, prior to 2019, we didn't really have any regulations for testing in place. Um, but, you know, the Department of Health actually released a uh, very, very well crafted, uh, you know, list of testing regulations for cannabis back in 2019. And in fact, you know, when we were looking to sort of address this problem by getting a team together and raising capital to start our lab, um, we were sort of, we had eyes on that that process as it was unfolding. And, and even Stuart can attest that, you know, these regs have been written in a way that they are, um, they, they ensure safety and, and product quality better than the vast majority of markets out there. So in 2019, the Department of Health uh, actually, you know, had finished crafting these regulations and they were sort of, you know, approved. Um, the Department of Business Regulation has been tasked with enforcing them since then. Um, but the enforcement process, you know, at the time, you know, it really, we didn't have enough labs and enough capacity 
to test all of the medicinal cannabis that was being produced and sold in Rhode Island. So there was this big fear that, you know, we would cause a bottleneck by enforcing regulations right from the get-go and products wouldn't make it to patients that are really depending on them. So enforcement has really been a staged process and the state has wanted to make sure that we had enough lab capacity to process all the necessary samples that we need to, to get these products to market fast enough without sacrificing quality and without, you know, causing that bottleneck. So uh, late in 2020, you know, these regs, they still hadn't been enforced. We started forming a team, we raised some capital and we started constructing a lab that would really address all of the necessary components of regulatory testing under one roof. Um, That type of a lab, um, it didn't exist in that form at the time. So as we started building this, and you can imagine it's a process, getting getting everything together and getting a lab up and running. Um, there are two other labs in the state that were doing some testing, um, sort of on-demand testing for cultivators for the purpose of identifying THC and CBD. So they already had the skill set involved to test for potency. And in March of 2021, they had achieved licensure to test marijuana for potency, and it then became required. Now, we didn't actually come to market and open our doors for for business until July of 2021. But by the time we did, now we had three labs in the game and there was enough capacity amongst the three labs to also enforce the requirements for testing of those microbial contaminants like the fungus you know, the mold, the bacteria that you don't want in there. So, you know, we're talking now mid last year was when we first started officially requiring that all flour and concentrates start being tested for not only potency to tell what's in it, but also to make sure there were no infectious agents in there that could cause harm. Um, You know, from then, you know, it's been this sort of like stage rollout for these other more specialized tests. I mean, there are other pieces of equipment you need, you know, certain skill sets and expertise uh, in the chemical realm. Um, Metals testing, the toxic metals, that was just recently enforced at the end of December, and now that's required. Um, But the pesticides testing, you know, it's not required now. Some people are doing it, but it's the state has announced that they will require pesticides testing for all flour and concentrate products starting in June of this year. So there may be some products out there that have not been tested for pesticides. But, you know, that being said, um, a lot of uh, retail establishments and in, in product manufacturers are trying to set themselves apart and get ahead of this in the market. And they are starting to test full panel because consumers are becoming aware of aware of the fact that, look, hey, if this stuff is fully tested in Massachusetts, I'll just drive over there and get it. You know, I, why, why stay here? Why wait? Why use a product that might potentially cause me harm? Um, so, you know, again, it's been a little bit of a process. Uh, you know, Stuart had mentioned residual solvents and concentrates. There still hasn't been an announcement about when those are going to be enforced. And as John said earlier, we're not actually right now testing any of those edible products like chocolates, gummy bears, uh, cookies, you know, you name it. That stuff actually is not tested currently um, unless it's done on demand. So, you know, again, I would say that it has been a little bit of a tedious process rolling it out, but it's, it's for a reason. It's because, you know, we don't want to rush things and do it incorrectly. We want to make sure the capacity is there, but I will emphasize that these regulations are very, very well written, you know, from a, from a medical physician standpoint, from an analytical chemist standpoint, these are probably some of the best regulations that we've seen, and they really have potential 
to uh, you know create products in Rhode Island here that are more appealing to consumers, that are you know more accurately labeled, and that sort of fit the bill, so that you know maybe if we are recreationally legal in the near future we may see a little bit of a shift in traffic. Instead of people going out and going elsewhere to get their products, we may see people start coming in, which is, you know, a good source of tax revenue for the state. You know, yes. Not that I hope the feds aren't listening, but, you know, everyone knows <laughs> it happens. People cross state lines with this stuff all the time. It is absolutely. What it is. It's hard to imagine there's a stakeout. The state police are staking out, you know, the uh, Seekonk East Providence line every day, you know, or, or federal it, it it's just like that gray area again. That gray market almost incorporates that notion as well. Um, you mentioned that there's three testing facilities here in Rhode Island. Are there enough? Is that enough for when we seem to get the green light to go to recreational cannabis here? And are those facilities currently on the same page in terms of the standards that that are? Uh, you know, the best practices and, and the specifics of what's happening. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, there are three operational labs in Rhode Island. Um, they are not all licensed to perform the same level of testing. Uh, they all have varying uh, certifications. Um, some have to use other labs to test for uh, some of the requirements. They outsource some of the testing. Um, we have uh, all the certifications possible at this point. And uh we have the capacity in our own lab to probably handle the entire Rhode Island market. And so I think there's, there's an overabundance of laboratory capacity at this moment. Um, so you look at a place like West Virginia, which just announced that uh, one of the regulations on the regulatory testing of cannabis is going to be a limited number of laboratories. And, you know, I think that's because if you look at some of the issues with labeled cannabis in the legal markets around the U S there has been lab shopping in various states. There's been uh, issues with um, hero sampling, where laboratories will allow cultivators or dispensaries to choose the actual piece of the plant that is tested. And I think we can all agree that, you know, even in layman's terms, you can pick out that one perfect rose on the bush and look at that, but that's not representative of the entire plant. And just, you know, in cannabis, if you take the top, what we would call the, the apical meristem of the plant, that top piece, the very, the closest to the light, um, the most untouched piece of the plant, that's going to have the highest concentration of THC, CBD, all of the compounds that people are looking for. If you test that, it will look like one thing, but it will not be representative of the plant. And there are a lot of labs in a lot of different states that will allow that to occur. Um, so having more labs can get sticky and having too much lab capacity can actually be problematic. Um, but it, the, the current labs uh, in Rhode Island are perfectly capable of making sure there's no bottlenecks, there's no slowdown to getting markets onto the shelves and, and, and to consumers. Um, but yeah, they, we, we certainly have enough lab capacity right now. Yeah. And we, you know, we've sort of, like I was alluding to earlier, we designed our lab intentionally um, to have a layout in space and, and we're able to scale rapidly. So right now, we believe we have enough capacity just under our roof to you know service the entire medicinal market as it stands um, with a little bit of expansion. But you know recreational is, is on average, it typically will multiply the market size by a factor of three, you know, in most states. So we are, you know, in, in all labs involved, we'll have to ramp up a little bit. But I don't think it's 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 going to be enough additional volume that it would support 
other labs, you know, coming in and everybody being profitable enough to maintain solid operations, you know, and, and, you know, one of the unfortunate things is that, you know, the financial pressures in the competitive lab space in a lot of other states, we've seen how it has sort of caused labs to cut corners, which is not good for the consumer. A lot of behaviors um, have been somewhat disingenuous. And, you know, again, I mean, these labs are getting caught, but it's because they're vying for a larger proportion of the market share. They're trying to appeal to the people that are their clients by saying, by, you know, maybe boosting THC values a little bit because everyone knows that that drives pricing on the market. So, you know, this type of like pressure to uh, compete is always good. It's always good for progress to have competition, but there is a saturation point. And I think in Rhode Island, we are pretty close to that until proven otherwise with uh, recreational market expansion. And it's important when you, you look at other states that do have an overly saturated laboratory market and you start to see that the competitive advantage they look to take is not necessarily one that is uh, more accurate or leads to a better product for the consumer, because let's face it, that usually takes more time and more money. Um, the competitive advantage they look to take is one where they're providing uh, numbers to to their their customers being the, the cultivators and the dispensaries that are um, more in line with what they think they're going to get more money on the, the black market for. So there is some, uh, like Jay pointed out, um, you have to be careful when you have too many labs in a state because you wind up with inaccurately labeled products. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Absolutely. And um, something to sort of chew on as this industry grows is not just in the testing side of things, but throughout the industry, the industry writ large, if you will, how, you know, what that saturation point is. Um, last question, this, this for Dr. Proctor, how can you all specifically within Pure Vita help develop standards in the Rhode Island cannabis industry, especially if we get to a point where recreational marijuana is legalized and approved by the legislature? What, what specifically can, can you do? Well, that's an excellent question. So, I mean, so for starters, I'd like to sort of point out that the, the Rhode Island regulations that have been laid out by the, the Department of Health are excellent. And it actually does set us apart for sure from, from the local um, industry around us, um, which in turn leads to more accurate products and also better, um, better products for the actual customers. But it's like there's also lots of wiggle room when you look at any sort of uh, procedures. And there's obviously ways that uh, the process could be standardized better to give um, a more, let's say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It is ultimately less variability. So I mean, one of the biggest problems you face as an antical chemist is when you actually look at the sample, right? So you, you take the flower material. It's, it's really, really heterogeneous product. Um, there's a lot of different... Uh, contributing factors that can affect uh, the potency of various parts of the plant. So, for example, stuff at the top of the canopy is going to get the most light. Um, that's going to basically grow and become more rich in the cannabinoids, where you have the lower regions that get less light. Even the spacing between plants can have a large impact. So when you're batching a product, um, how that product is batched and is every ounce of material you take representative of the entire batch is, is the real trick. Um, so what we're hoping to do is start to standardize um, sampling procedures to make sure that everyone's doing this process the same, because the antical chemistry that happens at the back end um, is only as good as the sampling technology that happens at the front end. Um, and that's, that's, I would say, the biggest difference also between 
how the, the states differentiate themselves in terms of accuracy. So if you go to other markets, for example, I've heard this from many people, uh, that, you know, you look at labels in, in other states and they're much higher. Uh, and the reason for that is that, yes, you get what, what Jason was describing earlier, hero sampling, right? So that the physical numbers that get to the end product that goes onto the shelf isn't representative of what's in the physical product itself. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that can be done on how we get the sample to the lab, but on the back end of that is also in, you know, the best science um, to get the right extraction and make sure that the sample processing is done um, equivalent across all laboratories in the state too, because they're, they're even simple things, just like having standards that are, are maybe not stored the same. So cannabinoids are unstable. So it'd be very simple or even unknowingly, you could inject the same set of standards um, to recalibrate an instrument several months later. And that's because the standards have degraded, you end up with higher potency numbers when you test your sample, right? So for example, at Pure Vita Labs, we're already instigating a, a cannabinoid stability standard, which we introduced into all of our compounds. So we know that the numbers that we're generating are accurate. So it, there's, there's lots of small things um, that, 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 that could be improved upon. Um, but I think overall, the actual state of the regulations in Rhode Island are far superior to the surrounding states, which, again, it, it, it means that the Rhode Island market has that uh, potential to grow and actually probably be dominant in this region. Yeah, and I would just add one other thing, you know, that, that is one of the differentiating factors of Rhode Island is, it, you know, the regs require the lab to actually go out to the cultivation facility and sample the harvest batch. They don't allow the cultivators to drop a representative sample off at the lab. And I use representative in quotation marks um, for all the reasons that uh, Stuart just said. Um, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, there are things that we can do to standardize. You know, I mean, we, we should certainly be making progress on some of these fronts. You know, and what Stuart was mentioning is like, you know, really a calibration standard. I mean, you're, you're setting a threshold level of, you know, what the output of, of one of these expensive analytical machines is going to, is going to produce based on a standard. And if you're entering in uh, the numerical value of potency that's written on the label for that standard, but the standard's been left out too long and it's actually less potent, now you're creating an, an, a margin of error that's going to inflate the THC potency. So using the same standard and having one that's stable, that isn't going to change over time, that's an important thing that we could be doing in the state to improve the accuracy of the labeling. Inside Rhode Island Cannabis, presented by Pure Vita Labs here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Doctors, thank you all so much. Look forward to the next one. Thank you. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.